Welcome to Talk Angry with Coon and Eldridge. On today's show, we will recap the big road overtime victory over USF. We'll also get you ready for Saturday's matchup with Old Miss. And we'll be joined by Shocker broadcaster Bob Hull. Great show coming up right after this. Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Wichita State Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. 82-77 win over the USF Bulls last week in overtime. It was a tale of two halves and really uh, then extra five minutes there with the overtime period. In the first half, the Shockers shoot 27% from the field. They're down by as much as 13 points. Second half, come rallying back, shoot 50% from the field, have, you know, they're up five in the final seconds, and then how we ended up in overtime, I'm still not sure, but they show the resilience to get the five-point win. We saw Tyson Etienne with 25 points, five in overtime, Altry Gilbert, Monzi Jackson add 10 each as well. Taylor, this is the type of gritty road victory that you absolutely think this team needed, and and uh, just, you know, so impressed with the comeback, and then to have the, uh, you know, ability to, to keep the lead uh, in overtime and win the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked before that game how important that game was just because of the stretch that was coming up, you know, at Ole Miss, at Houston, uh, you know, Cincinnati right after that. So a pretty tough stretch coming up for WSU. So um, re- really anytime you can get a road win in the American, it's going to be a huge road win, especially, you know, against teams that were picked to finish ahead of you. And I think that was the most important thing for the shockers here is that, you know, they knocked off two teams that were picked ahead of them in the preseason poll and in Tulsa and South Florida. So they've really set themselves up for a strong finish. Now, uh, you know, obviously you guys, you have to take care of business at home now, uh, something that the shockers have done uh, pretty consistently, you know, over the years, uh, how much, uh, no fans will affect, you know, their, their advantage at Coke arena. That that's a fair question, but you know, you can probably expect WSU to have a winning record in conference at home. So, um, so yeah, to pick up two road wins to start off the conference season, is huge. And like you said, I mean, to, uh, for them to battle back, uh, you know, after blowing a five point lead in the last 10 seconds of that game, uh, to be able to show, you know, some, uh, you know, some to, just to bounce back from you know such a tough swing against them in those final seconds and, and play pretty well in overtime uh pretty impressive for this group i mean that was the first time they've really been challenged like that uh with an opportunity to to win the game and they responded and uh yeah coach uh, isaac brown has got these guys off to a pretty good start it kind of reminded me about the game at UConn last year where, you know, kind of just all crumbled there in the final seconds, had to pick the pieces back up. Uh, I- I'm curious, what did you think of those two late foul calls? It, it seemed, you know, pretty pretty ticky-tack on Tyson and on Altarique. I guess, you, it's, you know, you can't put yourself in that position. But what did you think about those two calls specifically? I didn't really feel the uh, the stripes were on the side of the Shockers last week. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, I, I guess the counter argument was like you kind of like you, what you just mentioned is, you know, I mean, just don't even put your put yourself in a position for the ref to make a bad call against you. I, I guess that would be uh, kind of the takeaway for WSU. Yeah, I thought the one on Tyson Etienne, the first one, uh, pretty, you know, not a lot of contact. And obviously when the shooter is going that far forward, trying to, you know, deliberately uh, create contact, 
uh, you know, you see that more in the NBA now where, you know, they're starting to, to let those go and, and not, uh, you know, even if they kick their legs out, you're starting to see offensive fouls on the on the shooters now. So um, I think that's kind of reversing itself. So, yeah, I thought that was a tough break for WSU. But like I said, I mean, you probably don't even want to be in the vicinity, you know, to, to even let the, the ref make a bad call against you. And then the one with Altariq, I thought he did kind of get caught jumping up in the air, kind of got baited into that one. Um, so that one I could see a little bit more being a foul, but, but you're right. You know, obviously when you, when you're the, the team in the lead, you never want to see uh, uh, foul calls on three point shooters. That's the Cardinal sin. So, uh, for WSU to do that twice in the closing seconds and still find a way to win, I guess that's a credit to, you know, their, their composure and, uh, for the leadership on that sideline, because, you know, this is a pretty, uh, inexperienced team and a team that's still coming together with so, so many uh, newcomers. So I was impressed just from that aspect that they were able to keep it together after a pretty disastrous close uh, to the regulation and win that overtime period. You wrote on Kansas.com leading up to the game that rebounding was going to really be important in the game. We we saw a little struggle again. Now USF is a tough matchup. They have such a you know big front line, but they're plus 15 in rebounds. Now what's interesting to me is the Shockers will were still plus 12 in points in the paint. So even though they they really got beat up pretty good on the glass, they were able to score enough down low to you know ultimately uh, you know take the lead and win the game. Yeah, and that's uh, you know that's what what counts the most is uh, being able to to defend the paint. And uh, when I went back and looked at it, I kind of did some digging on uh, you know the the synergy numbers behind uh, that win. And I thought the uh, zone defense that IB went to, uh, you know, you, you saw you know a few possessions in the first half, but he mentioned that WSU uh, the shooting was so horrendous the first half that they wanted to go to that zone defense after makes. And when you only have, you know, five, six made field goals, that's really tough to do. And you just don't get very many opportunities. So uh, when the, the shots started falling in the second half, they were able to set up that token pressure and then fall back in the zone. And I thought what that did was make uh, USF into a jump shooting team. Obviously, they had the size advantage, like we talked about the uh, last week's podcast, you know, going seven foot, six, eight, um, you know, on his front line, you know, Alexis Yatna, one of the best players in the conference. And uh, you know, the, the, the rebounding advantage shows that, that they had a huge size advantage, but, you know, WSU was able to negate that by playing that zone defense and they really baited them into becoming a jump shooting team, something that they're not very good at. And uh, let me see if I can find those stats. I had it in my game story, but um, yeah, I mean, I think the second half uh, they, they made USF take, I think it was like 55% uh, jumpers and, that's usually a part of their game where they're only taking, you know, about 40% of their overall shot attempts are jumpers. So WSU made them take well above their season average. And then, uh, yeah, right here, they went two of 12 on jump shoot jump shots in the second half against WSU's zone defense. And, um, and what that also allowed them to do was not only make them a jump shooting team, but also gave WSU a defender under the rim all time and be able to kind of scrunch it in and really protect the rim. And uh, you mentioned the points in the paint and that's because USF, they only shot, um, uh, let's see, 34.6% on, you know, shots within five feet. So, you know, that's just not going to get the job done. Usually that's number, that number is well above 50%. I think their season average was like 54. So, you you know, WSU holds them 20% under that. And then they make them shoot 36 jump shots and USF shot just 12 of 36 
on jumpers. So um, those are the two keys of the game. I thought was, you know, turning USF into a jump shooting team and then protecting the rim and negating that size advantage. Wichita State was plus 17 in bench production. They were plus 12 in fast break points, and they were plus 10 in points off of turnovers. We mentioned Etienne getting Player of the Week honors. He is uh, currently fifth in the conference, 17 points per game, sixth in the conference in free throw shooting. I credit your Twitter for those stats. But uh, uh, talk a little about, you had the article afterwards about, you know, his leadership and really stepping into this, you know, kind of lead scorer role for the Shockers. Yeah, I, I really want to do a kind of a deep dive on what has allowed him to, to have this breakout season as a sophomore because, you know, you look at his shooting numbers and they're really not, you know, I would have figured if you had told me he's averaging 17 points, I would be like, you know, okay, Tyson's probably shooting, you know, 45% from three or, you know, having a huge season from beyond the arc. And, you know, it really hasn't been that way. Um, he's still having, he's still shooting a, you know, a pretty nice percentage, but, you know, 32 that's a number that uh, WSU feels like can definitely improve. And, you know, I think Tyson kind of considers himself, you know, closer to a 40% three-point shooter. So uh, we might even be in store for, you know, a better shooting from the outside stretch uh, from Tyson. But the the thing that really impresses me is just all the off-season work that he put in off the bounce, getting stronger, getting faster. You know, his first step has improved so much. His bounce has improved so much. I mean, who would have thought that he would have, you know, a sports center top 10 dunk like he had uh, last season, you know, as a freshman, but, you know, he has, you know, really worked on his, uh, his hops, his explosion. And uh, you're really seeing it work right now with, uh, with his shots inside the arc. You know, obviously last year he shot 39% on threes, but he only shot, you know, under 35% on two pointers. Now you look at a, you know, obviously small sample size, but he's already shooting much better um, this season, 46% on two pointers, uh, shooting really, really high, you know, at the rim. And those were the shots that he was really struggling at last year because, you know, he couldn't get those dunks. He couldn't get, you know, the good looks at the rim. He was, you know, getting there, but then having to kind of throw it up wildly, you know, over longer defenders, over the the 6'10 rim protectors, but now he's able to power through them or even get to the rim before they can even uh, slide over to help. So I think that's the biggest difference in his game is just how much that he's improved, uh, where he gets his two-point shots and how well he's able to finish the two-point shots compared to where I think a lot of people would have figured, okay, he's just having a huge three-point season, which he really isn't. You know, he's taken a lot of tough shots for WSU, uh, kind of has a, a quick trigger on some of these three pointers. I mean, he's taken some some Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, uh, you know, shots from the logo, uh, but he's still shooting a pretty good percentage. But I think that's a number that could even rise, uh, you know, here, uh, you know, as conference play elapses and they kind of get him uh, some better looks. I think that's a number that could even go up. There's only three teams remaining that are undefeated in conference play. Houston, SMU, both I think were you know picked to be at the top of the conference, and Wichita State. You uh, had the news today, Kansas.com, the home opener against East Carolina, which was scheduled for Wednesdays, postponed due to COVID-19 issues uh, in the ECU program and the contract tracing and all that they do there. It uh, sounds like Newman's going to come to town and then talk a little bit about how they're going to work on rescheduling the game, and it might end up being on back-to-back days when they play ECU again. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. You've seen some conferences, I think the Missouri Valley is doing it where, uh, you know, instead of doing home and away, teams are, are playing at the one location uh, back-to-back days, like, a, you know, a Saturday, Sunday, or a Sunday, Monday, where, I mean, if WSU 
would go to like East Carolina and play them on back-to-back days. So, um, so what the Americans said they're going to do today is that they're going to try to reschedule the game. Uh, they're going to try to find an open date uh, for the two teams to meet. Uh, and if it doesn't happen before February 21st, or I'd assume around that date, um, that's the second time that they're scheduled to play when WSU they're scheduled to play in Greenville. But if that game isn't rescheduled in time before that, then what they're going to do is uh, they're just going to move both of the games and have them play in Wichita at Coke Arena on a Sunday and Monday, February 21st and 22nd. So uh, we would get a little back-to-back, you know, a little double-header, double-header action in Wichita. I think that would be kind of a cool uh, cool event if it doesn't work out. But like I said, they're going to try to to make up that game before, you know, the end of February. Um, and then, like you mentioned, uh, they're bringing in Newman, another Division II opponent. I think, uh, you know, fans kind of got their hopes up for maybe a bigger, uh, you know, name brand somebody to help the NCAA tournament resume, but you know, that's just not how, you know, scheduling in the season works. I think uh, WSU, especially with the schedule this year, I mean, they really only had one chance to empty out the bench and that was against the last division two opponent, you know, Emporia state where uh, they're able to play, you know, Jaden Seymour, they're able to play Chauncey Jenkins and the walk-ons and, you know, get those, uh, you know, the end of the rotation guys, some valuable experience because they really didn't get the, you know, the, the proper non-conference play that they normally would get. So I think a game like this is more valuable than adding, um, you know, a really tough game where WSU would have to work for it because Airy has one of those on the schedule on Saturday when they go to Ole Miss. So I think this game will be valuable, you know, get the, get those freshmen some playing time, get those confident, I uh, get the confidence, you know, uh, built back up first game back from Christmas break. So I think it just works out where uh, WSU brings in, you know, a local D2 team and uh, and is able to kind of work on some stuff and, and work out the kinks before Saturday's, you know, big showdown at Ole Miss. Yeah, Ole Miss is 5-1 and one on the season. We'll get to that later in the show, but uh, should be a good matchup, and it'll be broadcast on ESPNU. I know ESPN Plus has been a struggle for some Shocker fans out there. Wichita State is up to Ken Palm, ranked number 95. Continue trending in the right direction. Let's take a break now. When we come back, we'll be joined by Shocker broadcaster Bob Bull. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. The Shockers are off to a 2-0 start in conference play with road wins over Tulsa and an exciting overtime winner last week versus South Florida. We're happy to be joined now by Shocker broadcaster Bob Hull. Bob, how are you today? Good, Dustin. How are you? We're doing well, particularly after this start to conference play for the Shockers. You know, we saw a good road win at Tulsa and then an overtime game that was certainly volatile, a lot of ups and downs, but the Shockers come through. And one of the bright spots has been Tyson Etienne. He scores 25 points in the win at USF, named AAC Player of the Week this week. What have you seen from his game in his sophomore year this season and maybe areas he's worked on, or or what have you liked most about what he's been bringing to this team early in the season? Well, I tell you, uh, Tyson is really playing well. Uh, I think he's being more assertive this year. He he is uh, just trying to create uh, a lot of uh, action on offense, either with a three-point shot or a drive to the basket or setting up a teammate in transition. And uh, and it looks to me like he's really doing a good job of leading. Uh, You see him talking to to the other guys, going into huddles, coming out of huddles. When things aren't going well, he looks like he's encouraging people. 
and trying to pump him up. And uh, he's just really stepped into a leadership role. And if you listen to his interview with us on the radio afterwards, uh, I, I mentioned to Mike when we went to a break after that, that, man, he sounded more and more like Fred Van Vliet. Just the way he describes the game, the way he talks about his teammates, the way he praises his teammates and the coaches. He just he has a level of maturity uh, that you don't see with many sophomores. One characteristic of Greg Marshall's era at Wichita State was teams that focused on rebounding the basketball. It has been a little bit of a struggle so far this year. USF was plus 15 in rebounds in the game last week. You're, you know, you have a background in coaching. What what do you think this team needs to do to perform a little bit better on the glass? Yeah, that's a, that's kind of a, a stat that's been uh, bothering the coaching staff, and it bothers me too. Uh, this team does not try to own the boards like previous teams have. And uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job of going in and getting offensive rebounds. The guys seem pretty aggressive with that. Uh, it, poor poor Bear Chandler's been going in and getting some offensive rebounds and some putbacks. Uh, and Clarence Jackson, Monzie Jackson off the bench, she's been getting to the offensive boards. But uh, we don't control the defensive boards as well as we should, and that's something that uh, – the Shockers have done a really good job of in the past, as you pointed out. And they were out-rebounded uh, heavily uh, in a game against uh, South Florida the other night. I think we were, let's see, um, the rebounds were uh, 54 to 39. So they were plus 15 on the off on the boards, and they were had 19 offensive rebounds. So that's something that uh, – it's going to take a lot of work in practice and a lot of focus in practice. And they'll look at the films and show guys not checking out, show guys standing around, not going and getting the ball, not getting the ball with two hands. And that's something that can be corrected because we got the athletes to be a good rebounding team. One of those good athletes is Monzi Jackson. He had 10 points last week against USF. We've seen, you know, Altery Gilbert certainly play well at the point guard position. Craig Porter Jr. has also looked good of late. Which of these newcomers do you like the most? And I like them all. Uh, I really like Jackson's energy. And when he comes into the game, man, things happen. I mean, he gets a bucket or he gets a rebound or he uh, gets on a fast break or gets a steal. I mean, he just he's Mr. Energy off the bench. And uh, you really got to love that. A guy coming in and really giving energy along the front lines. Uh, I think uh, – Council really looks like, uh, for a freshman, he looks pretty polished to me. Uh, very silky smooth, athletic, got a high release on his jump shot uh, so he can get his shot off with people on him. Uh, he's not afraid to go in there and get rebounds. He, he gets a lot of rebounds for the minutes he plays. And um, it's just got a knack for putting the ball in the basket. He gets to the rim and he, he finishes. He gets the ball in the basket. So the last couple of games uh, – before uh, South Florida, he had 13.8 rebounds in both those games, uh, Emporia State and Tulsa. And he played 16 and a half minutes in both games. So he's putting up a lot of points and rebounds for the minutes played. Uh, so I really like him. And then you got you to gotta really like Craig Porter and Gilbert. Uh, you know, they're newcomers, not young players, but uh, they're doing a really good job at guard, playing point, playing off, uh, not turning the ball over, scoring when they need to score. Porter did a really good job at the start of overtime, uh, getting getting the Shockers a couple buckets uh, to get that lead. 
you're one of the few individuals that's got to see the team up close and on several occasions this year, either calling games on TV or on the radio. Have you noticed any difference in the style of play under Coach Isaac Brown versus uh, what we've seen, uh, you know, for a decade with Coach Marshall? Well, generally, no. Uh, I think that obviously they're using the same system. They're running the same plays, uh, mainly a man-to-man defensive uh, club, although they played a lot of zone down at South Florida because all of the bigs were in foul trouble because they picked up a couple early fouls and he seemed to be in foul trouble the whole night. And then poor Bear Chandler picked up uh, early fouls. Uh, so, so they went to the zone and it was effective. Uh, it really slowed up uh, South Florida and they didn't seem as comfortable attacking it as they did attacking the man to man. So they played a lot of zone. So you're, you're seeing a little bit more zone, um, maybe than than with Greg and uh, I think I think Isaac will call a timeout a little bit quicker than Greg Marshall would. Uh, Greg would would really really hold on to those timeouts for late in the game and didn't like to call them to start runs uh, stop runs uh, other teams were having or to correct things that weren't going well for the Shockers. But uh, I think Isaac, you're seeing him call a little bit quicker timeouts. And maybe maybe he doesn't have as quick a hook as uh, Greg Marshall as far as uh, calling guys after turnovers and bad shots. He he seems to let the guys you know he'll he'll say something to them and then he'll leave them in there and see if they correct their behavior before he jerks them out. So I think you're seeing maybe a little bit of difference there, but uh, you know not much. Wichita State heads to Mississippi this weekend at 5-1 and one Old Miss on Saturday. They're Ken Palm ranked 32 in the country right now. What do you expect to see out of the Rebels? You know, I haven't even looked at them yet. Uh, I guess I better start studying them a little bit because I'll be going, going down there with Mike to do the, the radio broadcast. We're, we were supposed to have a game uh, Wednesday against uh, ECU, but that's been canceled now. And I think they're trying to find a substitute game, possibly Newman Wednesday night, although that's not official. So um, we might be doing the television for that. So I'll probably be looking at them first. But I haven't looked at Mississippi yet, but they're in the Southeastern Conference. They got a good record. Uh, and they always have a big team with a lot of athletes. So I think you're going to see a team that's going to look like Oklahoma State, look like Missouri and be big and physical and athletic. Last question for you. We just had Christmas this past week. If you were to give this team one gift or, or one, uh, you know, add something to it for the rest of the year here, what would that be? Uh, no COVID. Uh, get to, get this pandemic uh, solved and get the vaccine to everybody and so that the kids can play the games. And I would like these new guys to experience uh, Coke Arena with a full crowd. And uh, imagine how crazy it would have been in the Missouri game, the Oklahoma State game, had uh, there there been a full house at those ball games. So I would like to see us get to the point where we can we can have a full full house at uh, Coke Arena and get back to soccer basketball like we're used to. We appreciate you taking the time, Bob. Certainly, our listeners will uh, look forward to your coverage all year on TV and radio. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, thank you, Dustin. Good to talk to you. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Our thanks again to Bob Hull for joining the program. He'll be on the broadcast for Wednesday's game against Newman. 
On Saturday, Wichita State will head to Oxford to take on Old Miss. They're 5-1 and one on the season. Game starts at 5 p.m. and will be broadcast on ESPNU. Old Miss plays at Alabama on Tuesday. Their only loss is to Dayton. They lost 65-62 to on December 19th. They are Ken Palm ranked number 32. So, Taylor, this is, you know, outside of Missouri, I guess, which uh, now is in the top 25, and Houston coming up on the schedule. This is, you know, probably one of the better teams the Shockers have played so far this year. Yeah, I mean, they're they're off to a good start, like you mentioned. Uh, they have a couple of those guys back from last year's game. You know, the, the main ones, Devontae Shuler, you know, he's their big-time offensive threat. Um, but WSU, they were they were able to do a good job on them last year. Obviously, they, they beat the, the Rebels last year, uh, you know, during non-conference play when they're off to that, that really good start. They were, you know, top 20 team. And uh, they were able to handle them pretty easily uh, at home. Uh, that, that challenge will be obviously greater on the road. So, um, you know, almost is a good team. They're, uh, you know, they were picked behind Missouri. I think they were picked like ninth. Um, or something like that. That's they're correct. The, the, you know, yeah, the back half of the SEC. So um, they're kind of a fringe NCAA tournament team. Uh, they're obviously off, off to a great start, but you know they haven't really beaten anybody worth anything. Uh, the one one team they did play that was you know a quality Dayton they lost to. So um, you know it's kind of early to to kind of uh, to know what to make of Ole Miss. I think it's definitely a game that WSU feels like it can win if it goes down there and plays well. Uh, but obviously they're going to need, you know, a good effort on Wednesday, uh, you know, in that, that makeup game against or the rescheduled game against uh, or the new game, I guess, against Newman, uh, you know, kind of work out the cobwebs and get things rolling. And then they're going to have to bring, uh, you know, a really good offensive game against Ole Miss right now. They have the number six defense on Ken Palm. So, um, you know, the Shockers, I mean, their struggle so far this season has been shooting the ball. We've seen it in stretches, though, where they can get hot and, and you know, play some nice offensive uh, basketball, but, you know, WC is going to have to bring a much better effort on the offensive end if it wants to escape, you know, uh, with a victory in Oxford. Old Miss scores 74.7 points per game and allows 52.7. They shoot at 47% from the field, 28% from three, and they are plus eight currently in rebounding margin. So it'll be another important game for Wichita State to take care of business or try to take care of business on the glass. And really, with a short non-conference, this is their last opportunity to to get an NCAA tournament quality type win outside of what you'll have in conference play and you know certainly the two matchups with Houston, SMU, etc. Yeah, and WSU probably feels like this is their, you know, their first real chance because you know obviously the Oklahoma State and or Oklahoma State Missouri games were both affected by you know their restrictions on COVID nineteen and you know they didn't feel like they had a full roster if they did you know they didn't have a full week of practice or anything so this is the first time that WSU you know has everybody in place at least for now. And, you know, has all these guys practicing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in some ways, this is kind of like the first, you know, litmus test on the road against, a, you know, a quality SEC opponent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good challenge for WSU. And if they're able to win this one, then you can get some serious momentum and, you know, start to build those NCAA tournament talks and uh, kind of start wondering, you know, what, what could be. And uh, I think uh, you'll start to see WSU uh, trending in that right direction. Uh, just because right now they don't really have, you know, that, that quality eye-popping win. And not that, you know, at Ole Miss would be that, but it would be kind of a string of nice wins to open the season, three straight road wins in a row. So that would be, you know, something that would start to open people's eyes to, to maybe WSU uh, beginning to, to build that case to be in a, 
uh, you know, a large team in the NCAA tournament. It's amazing how much the perspective of a season can change just after a couple road wins. I mean, I, a couple weeks ago, we're saying, you know, how are they going to piece this thing together? And and now it's, you know, hey, you know, we, we got a chance maybe to to be in that upper tier in the AAC and, and make a run like that. While we're on the subject, let's go around the AAC. I mentioned only three teams uh, remaining that are undefeated in conference play. Houston is ranked number five in the country. They're 3-0 on the year. Uh, Wichita State certainly will play them next week, and on next week's episode, we'll we'll have a, a preview of that game. SMU at 1-0, they play Houston on Sunday. Maybe the biggest surprise would be Cincinnati at 0-2, but Taylor, when you look at the conference as a whole, kind of what, what are the uh, storylines you've been focused on? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the case, kind of Cincinnati and Memphis being uh, two of the more, I guess, disappointing teams compared to, you know, preseason expectations, and then you know, a team like Central Florida that's that's really surprised. I think Brandon Mann has been, you know, kind of the breakout star of the conference, and he's really led uh, UCF to kind of gaining some national respect. And yeah, you know, heading they got that game against Houston, you know, on ABC, uh, you know, a marquee game. And I think that really speaks to you know how much respect that you know the national media was putting into uh, UCF because you know they kind of viewed them as a you know a good enough game to put on national television. I mean, obviously, uh, Houston being a top 10 team, now a top five team, they were the, the main draw. But I think uh, uh, UCF showed in that game that they are, you know, pretty legit. They can, you know, compete for the, you know, a top three finish in this conference. And I don't know if, uh, you know, many people had them in that conversation before the season. So I think that's been maybe the, the biggest revelation. And, uh, you know, Mayan obviously had that breakout performance uh, when they beat Florida State on the road. And then they beat Cincinnati to start uh, AAC play. So uh, the way their schedule sets up, you know, they can make a pretty nice run now, uh, you know, following this Houston game. If they take care of business at home, uh, you know, you get South Florida on the road, uh, Tulsa on the road, Temple, and then uh, uh, on the road. So if they can, uh, you know, take care of those opponents, those are the games uh, that you have to win. If you're going to finish, you know, in the top tier of this conference, you have to take care of business at home and then also beat the teams below you. Uh, on the road. So uh, that's going to be a challenge for UCF. I think that's probably the biggest uh, revelation from, uh, you know, these early conference games is, you know, UCF just looking uh, a lot tougher, Cincinnati and Memphis not looking as good. And I think Wichita State, they're probably one of the, uh, one of the bigger surprises too, just because, you know, with the interim coach, uh, you know, not many uh, non-conference games heading into the season, um, I don't know very many people thought they'd be 2-0 and at this point. So I think WSU is another one of those, you know, nice surprises in the conference. But I think this is obviously Houston's conference to lose. They're, you know, the overwhelming favorite. And then really after them, it's uh, pretty, you know, wide open. I think SMU probably has, you know, a claim for that, that two spot. But, you know, even then, uh, you know, uh, with the way that they've played you know, over recent seasons, it's just really tough to trust them to finish second, you know, over the course of a, a 20 game conference schedule, but, you know, they definitely have the, the talent and, uh, you know, the, the ability to, to finish that high, but, um, it's going to be real interesting. I think it's a wide open conference race and, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting because I think, you know, the second and third team in this conference is going to have a chance to, you know, make it to the NCAA tournament. Dexter Dennis and Trey Wade are two players that, uh, you know, had some high expectations coming into the season, but maybe are, are playing a little below that. Have you seen anything in the film about, um, you know, how these two guys might be able to get it back on track? Yeah, with Dexter, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's pretty frustrating because, you know, he's taking good shots. 
uh, especially on threes. I mean, uh, it's not like he's, you know, forcing very much from the outside. And uh, I mean, he's, he's still shooting, uh, I guess after this last game, it's kind of cratered to, to 28.6, but he, he was off to a, a pretty decent start from beyond the arc, but now, you know, he's just not shooting well. And uh, the thing that was troubling me more than the three-point shooting for him was how he was finishing inside the arc, kind of like what we talked about with Tyson at TN, where, you know, Tyson has taken his game to the next level, uh, you know, inside the arc. That's where Dexter has really struggled this year. You know, it's uh, four of 18, so far on two pointers and that's just not going to get it done. You know, 22%, uh, that number needs to be, you know, 40 plus percent for a guard. Um, and I know Dexter, you know, he, he's got the ability, uh, you know, you saw it, I think it was, uh, the, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the South Florida game where they, they ran that play out of halftime for him, you know, kind of a dribble handoff into a, a ball screen that got him the advantage and, and got him turning the corner and finishing at the rim for an and one, uh, so I know Isaac Brown, uh, hoped that was going to be the play that kind of set him free, but, uh, you know, obviously that didn't, you know, translate, translate over to the, the final, you know, uh, part of that game. So they really need to get him going. Maybe a, a game, you know, Wednesday against Newman will help him, uh, gain that confidence off the bounce. And I think, uh, that's, I mean, we've had this discussion before too, you know, the last two years, I think, you know, and, and, uh, at this, about this time of year is that, you know, Dexter just kind of, you know, struggles offensively to open the season. And then he turns it on, you know, in February and March when it counts. And, um, I still think that, uh, his defense is very valuable to this team. Uh, what he's been able to do on the defensive end, uh, rebounding, guarding the other team's best player that still makes him, uh, you know, valuable and uh, the reason why he's still, you know, on the floor for the Shockers. Um, and then with Trey Wade, it's just a matter of the same thing, just a matter of making open shots. And I think I looked, um, I think it was before this USF game where he was like two of 18 on catch and shoot jumpers or something crazy like that. So um, it's just catch and shoot jumpers. That's the, you know, the best shot in the game that you can get um, when you can just catch it and not think about it and just release it. Uh, you're usually in rhythm. Um, you're usually open. So uh, those tend to, you know, you want to shoot uh, about 40% on those because those are the best looks you're going to get. So uh, to start out that that poor, you know, obviously that's going to, you know, uh, even itself out over the course of a season. I think you saw Trey kind of pick it up. I thought he had the dagger um, and down the stretch of that USF game, I think he hit a corner three to put them up six with, I think it was under two minutes left. I, I had written that game story and I had uh, mentioned that as the dagger shot. And then obviously that ended up not being uh, the case with, uh, you know, the collapse down at the end. But um, I thought he showed signs of life, you know, on offense and uh, he can get a lot of easy ones, just, you know, offensive rebounding and running the floor getting dunks. So I think uh, it's too early to, to be concerned about those two guys. Um, I think over the course, I mean, it's still a long season, still 19 games to go. So I think they have plenty of time to figure it out. And I think it's a cause for, you know, to feel optimistic for WSU because, you know, they're, they're sitting at 2-0 and in the conference. And, you know, they really haven't gotten much offensively from Dexter or Trey or really Mo Udeze, you know, in the conference game. So that's three of your five starters right there not playing, you know, anywhere close to their potential on the offensive end. Uh, and you're still two and zero, so I think that's uh, cause for optimism. But I do understand why you know people are asking, you know, what's wrong with these guys. But I think it, they will, you know, even themselves out. The the shooting percentages, uh, the, just the law of averages, tend to you know even themselves out over the course of a year. 
buy or sell time, producer Brian. So we've talked about Wichita State being 2-0 and not really expecting them to necessarily be in this position with having two road games against teams expected in that middle of the pack with Wichita State. So in that regard, they're definitely ahead. But when you look at the way the team is playing, how they're executing offensively, defensively, buy or sell, is this Shocker team ahead of schedule? We'll start with you, Taylor. I'll buy that just because I think they were, especially after those first few games, uh, the Oklahoma State and um, the Missouri game where, you know, they didn't have any any real practice time. I think uh, to be able to come out 2-0 to start conference play is a pretty big surprise. Um, I think anybody in the program would have taken this. You know, if I asked them during that stretch if they would, you know, uh, if they thought they'd be 2-0, I think uh, some of them would be surprised just because, you know, that's such a um, – tough thing to do not just because of the depth but because of you know how those guys who are playing are able to practice uh, not going five on five so I think that was a huge deal uh, early in the season and for WSU to be able to bounce back and and play as well as they have and um, you know find a way to, to win two two times on the road against you know two tough opponents uh, it's not like these guys are you know bottom of the conference uh, pushovers so uh, I'm impressed. I, I think that uh, I'll buy that. I think they, they are ahead of schedule. Two fantastic wins, but I'm going to sell it only because I think it's too early to make that decision. Look at what their next you know few games in conference play are at Houston, home to Cincinnati, home to Tulsa, at SMU, at Memphis, USF at home. All of those are games that you know, we would expect to be tough. Certainly, they already have the wins over Tulsa and USF, so you got to hold serve at home court. But they just have a brutal stretch coming up where every single game, I, I think, you know, the other uh, opponent is going to be fairly evenly matched. So, you know, maybe in a couple weeks we can answer that. And if they go, you know, four and two over that time period, absolutely. I think right now, though, I'd have to sell it. It's a little early. All right, with ECU getting pushed back, so that game's going to come later in the schedule. Um, we've now got Newman on the schedule we had Emporia State earlier as kind of a replacement for losing those three games in that tournament so buy or sell are these non-d1 games going to start hurting WSU down the road and it's probably too early to talk NCAA tournament but as far as when you look at who they've played who their opponents have been or even the level of competition that they're that they're working against do you think that that starts to have an effect on them I'm going to sell that as well. I'm just in a, a selling mood today, I guess. But the reason for that being, if you finish in the top four in the American, regardless of your non-conference, I think you're going to be in the discussion to make the NCAA tournament. And if you finish top four in the American, you should have enough NCAA tournament resume building opportunities in conference play, whether it's you know several times against Houston, SMU, Memphis, all these other teams that are going to be in the discussion. If you go out and take care of business in conference play, particularly in this year with the pandemic and everything else, then then I, I think that's all you got to worry about. Yeah, I'm going to sell that just because I don't think that the program, like their focus, I don't think is, you know, uh, building an NCAA tournament case like right now. I think they're just trying to get better. Um, and to get better, you got to get, you know, playing time opportunities, develop your bench, you know, get more playing time for guys like, you know, Monty Jackson and Joseph Epelau and, you know, Craig Porter and, uh, guys like that, um, you know, guys who are going to help you down the stretch. And uh, yes, it's, you know, it's it's not going to register, you know, on an NCAA tournament resume, but I think 
uh, playing games like this, especially um, with this schedule, just because they didn't have, you know, the, the typical uh, non-conference schedule. I think games like this are valuable uh, for coaches and for teams to, to, you know, develop that bench and, and build confidence going forward. So I'll, I'll sell that as well. It was kind of amusing in the USF game when when Porter scores a couple baskets and they're like, oh my goodness, this guy only scores one point per game, you know, and it's like, well, he hasn't hardly played this season just because of all the COVID restrictions. So uh, third buy or sell. Taylor, this one's we're going to start with you. Wichita State goes to that little funky 2-3 kind of matchup zone that they bust out very, very rarely against when, when Marshall was the coach, but they had used it on occasion. They used it extensively in the second half, which we talked about some. Do you see Wichita State using that more often when you've got so many opponents that you you might want to force them to be a jump shooting team if you can't really if you can't trust your bigs to stay out of foul trouble. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's uh, that's a great point. I'll buy that just because I, I think that um, WSU's, I mean, their man defense that's usually been their you know calling card. It just hasn't been working. You know, they might not just have the pieces this year to to be a great defensive team uh, in man to man. So that zone kind of uh, builds that fortress around the rim, turns teams into jump shooting teams. And, uh, you know, that's kind of been the, the criticism of the American is, uh, you know, they're, they're great athletes, but, you know, can teams, you know, be the zone. And I think uh, certainly the top of the league can, but, you know, those teams in the middle and the bottom, I think if you zone them up, I think you can have some, uh, some pretty big success. So, um, yeah, you're definitely starting to see, I mean, I'm just looking at Synergy right now, and they're playing uh, 10% of the possession zone, which is a pretty big increase. I think it was only, uh, you know, it never really got above 5% under Marshall. And, you know, they're in the 93rd percentile on on Synergy in zone defense. So it's obviously working for them right now. Uh, had great success against USF. So I think that is going to be a, kind of a, a thing that uh, IB is going to keep in his back pocket. I think you're still going to see them play man to start games, but you know if things aren't going well, uh, that's that's definitely something you could see WSU turn to. I'm going to buy that as well, and it was just it was a fantastic adjustment coming out of halftime. As I mentioned, that first half looked brutal. USF is up by 13 points, and it looks like they're going to run away with it. And and you know we're we're in for a long season. So like I said, it's amazing how much that perspective can change over two road wins or even just 20 minutes in in the second half. There, um, I absolutely. And the other thing I like is you know if something's not working, let's change it up. Let's throw something different out there. Let's give them a different look to see you know, uh, what might stick, and uh, I liked it, and obviously it, it led to some success. All right, and finally, Dustin, we talked some about Dexter Dennis, uh, him getting the right types of shots, him maybe trying to get uh, good looks and, and get the percentages to start going in his favor. This week you've got an opportunity to get right against Newman. You've got a road matchup against Ole Miss. Buy or sell, does Dex get on track this week? I'll buy that. You know, Taylor said that uh, usually the percentages come back to to the mean or come back to about what average is, and and he's just you know not been shooting the ball well here. Now it's important to point out he's always on the other team's best scorer as well, so he's exerting a lot of effort on the defensive end, and and his defensive play is just as important as Tyson going out and scoring twenty five points or any of these other things that happen on offense. So I, I don't want to pile on the guy. Certainly, we have high expectations when you're in that you know NBA. Dis- 
discussion. You you, you would think, you know, uh, in your junior year it might be going a little bit better than that. But I also remember that game against SMU at an SMU last year where he goes off. And, and so it's there. We're just waiting for it to come back, and, and hopefully it comes back this week. Yeah, I'll buy that as well. I think uh, you'll see a, a season high. Um, I mean, he hasn't scored above nine this year. So I think he gets the double digits in at least one of these games. Um, he didn't play against East Carolina last year, but he did play against them three times uh, his freshman year. Had had decent games, you know, all three times. So I think you can expect, uh, I think he, he could get it, um, or I guess he doesn't even play East Carolina. I don't know why I mentioned him <laughs> that, but. Uh, um, you're but, you're yeah, all I your podcast did, prep that you had done, right? Yeah, yeah, I forgot about it. Us um, stat heads but, will yeah, uh, remember that later in the year. Yeah, um, but I, I think you'll see him bounce back this week. I think he does set a season high ten points, ten plus points in one of those two games this week. Give me a score prediction. We'll ignore Ole Miss, or let's go straight to Ole Miss. We'll ignore Newman for the time being. Let's go straight to Ole Miss. Give me a score prediction, Dustin. I will say seventy-two, sixty-eight. Shockers. Yeah, on this one, I, I'm a little torn. I think uh, WC's had some pretty good uh, performances on the road, but I just don't know what to make of this Ole Miss team. Uh, this answer might change after Tuesday after I see them play against Alabama, but I think Ole Miss gets the job done at home. Um, so I'll go I'll go 70 to, to 62 uh, Ole Miss. What's interesting is when we made the prediction on USF, we said, you know, it's always kind of a muck it up 56 to 52 type game. And that's what it looked like in the first half. But then you finish 82 77 with overtime. So all that really underscores, we don't know what the heck we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you guys too uh, to kind of power rank uh, the newcomers. I guess take away Altery Gilbert. I would assume he'd be, you know, uh, number one, but. Uh, just looking at the the JUCOs and the freshmen, who who has you guys? Uh, I guess the most excited for this season. I think you know if we're taking Altariq out of the mix, number one has to be Ricky Council. He's played the most consistent over time. Number two would be Monzi Jackson for me. Uh, number three, Craig Porter. I, I'm really excited about Craig Porter and what he's been showing. You know, certainly didn't get to play in those first couple games. And uh, call me crazy, I think Bilal is going to start uh, contributing a little bit more, having a little bit more opportunities. Particularly, you know, um, uh, Udeze and Poor Bear have both had some issues with foul trouble uh, early in conference play. And so I think he could get a lot more minutes as we go on as well. How about you? I, I, I agree with you as far as number one being Ricky Council the fourth. I mean, he just... Uh, just the smooth athleticism he has. He really gets to his spot and, and kind of has a bunch of of tools in his bag to to get to the rim. So I'm just I'm just really impressed with him, especially as a freshman coming in and doing that. Um, second, I'm gonna go Craig Porter as my number two. Just he, you can already tell how well he sees the floor, how he's able to find guys, and I think that as this season goes on and he gets more minutes, gets his athleticism back. You're really going to see the defense. You're going to see his own scoring start to to pick up more. And I'm just, you know, I'm really I'm really excited about him. But then certainly Monty Jackson, Joseph Atbalau, uh kind of rounding things out as well. But but those four guys, you know, as as newcomers, you know, looking looking really good. Yeah, I think uh, Craig Porter, he probably would be number one for me just because he does so many of the little things well for WSU. And, uh, you know, talking to every coach, that's ever coached him. I mean, they, they say he does the same thing at every single level. So he's just, you know, a proven winner and guys like that, you know, you want out there 
on crunch time. And this kind of leads me into my next question for you guys. Cause I think I've been kind of asking people on the program this, cause it's, it's interesting to me just because of the, how well that, you know, Ricky council and uh, Monzi and Craig Porter have played, you know, who's your closing five uh, for Wichita state. Now, I think that was kind of an easy question coming into the season, but now that the bench is playing so well in some of the, the starters are struggling a little bit. Uh, it kind of makes for an interesting question. So, you know, last three minutes of a close game, who, what, what five would you guys go with? Are we talking about if, if it's the way they've been playing right now, like just kind of what we've seen so far this season? Yeah. Oh, closing five. I'll, I'll take a stab at this. I'm going to go Alterik, Etienne, Porter, um, Dex, and then pick your five, whoever's whoever's <laughs> playing best so far. I mean, I still want Dex out there for his defense, and you know he can still knock down a shot. Um, mm. But but I like I like the way those guards play, all of them, and I want you know if it's if it's crunch time, all three have shown the ability to make plays in crunch time. Yeah, but then that leaves you know Ricky Council out too. I know a lot of people uh, love him on the floor too. I mean, I that's a kind of maybe if if Dex is really struggling, maybe you swap Dexter out for Ricky Council. But I still see him make some freshman mistakes from time to time where he doesn't box somebody out right or he doesn't do this or that or the other. I feel like I can trust Dexter to do those little things uh, um, better or more consistently. But certainly, you know, if if you know you can you have to play it a little bit by how the game's gone. But based on on what I'm seeing so far, you know, just to form, I think that's where I'd go. Yeah. What about you, Dustin? Well, I don't I don't think they'll do it, but I would say there's even some questions on the starting lineup for, for some of those guys. They should still be in there. I, I really like the game of Monzi Jackson and particularly in a in a late game situation. You need someone that you know, is is going to be a dog, going to go get a rebound, going to play D. And so, you know, maybe he gives up a little bit on the offensive side to some of these other guys. But I, I would maybe like to see him on the court. I think, you know, we all are in agreement that Etienne should be out there. Altariq, just because he's been doing it, he's kind of the senior state, statesman. He has to be out there. And uh, I, I don't know. I tell you what, Bilal, I would like to see a little bit more in, in uh, at least get opportunities, not necessarily later in Talk game. Talk uh yeah, so I, I I think he's got a good shot, but uh, I, I, I thought that uh, that uh, play he had uh, taking his defender off the dribble and uh, doing the old no look dish. I mean, how many six ten guys has Wichita State had that that can do that? I mean, I think that's uh, that was pretty impressive, and I think the upside is definitely there for him. And I think the only thing holding him back from crunch time minutes would just be how raw he is. I don't know if WSU trust him, um, you know, when the game is absolutely on the line. Um, yes, he has, you know, all that raw potential, but, you know, the things you mentioned that Dexter does really well, the details, stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's just hard. That's a big ask for, you know, a redshirt freshman. So I think that might be the one thing that holds, that holds him back. But I agree. A popular answer, um, that I got was, uh, Monzi too, was that maybe, uh, they just go small ball. I think you've seen, uh, IB do this, uh, a lot this season, a lot more than I thought he was going to do. Uh, was was play a small lineup and uh, kind of like what you guys were saying, you know, you go all Tariq, Tyson Etienne, um, Craig Porter. Those are the, I mean, that's that's a pretty small um, three trio of guards, but I think Craig Porter defends bigger than his size, so he can guard a small forward. And then Dexter Dennis 
he can guard, you know, bigger than his position, put him at the four and then just go complete small ball and play Monzi at the five. And then you have a, uh, not only a defense that plays bigger than what it is, you got to, like Dustin said, you know, you have a dog at the five and Monzi is going to, you know, fight and claw for every single rebound, but you can, more importantly on offense, you can space the four, all five of those guys can, can shoot three pointers. So I think that would give WSU maybe the, its best five out lineup. It, it could, uh, you know, could have in the last few years. So I think that's something that to monitor, see if WSU ever does do that, uh, go super small with Monzi at the five uh, if, down the stretch of these games. Cause I think that's a pretty intriguing uh, lineup. If they did that, would you expect them to go with the zone defense to try and, you know, protect, you know, switches or things like that, where they'd get really bad mismatches and, and try and, you know, kind of swarm to the rim as needed. Down, yeah. I think down the stretch, you just gotta, you gotta go man and just switch everything and, uh, um, and just kind of play, uh, play it out. Cause I think, uh, just the way basketball is played now, a lot of teams are going smaller down the stretch. So, you know, um, and obviously this is going to be matchup dependent, you know, if the other team has like a seven foot monster, you know, obviously I don't think they're going to do that. I think you're going to, you know, keep a, a traditional center on the floor, but you know, if the other team is playing a uh, traditional power forward, I think Monzi can match up pretty well with them. And then I think you just go, man, um, on the defensive end and switch everything. And, uh, you, you probably feel pretty good about all five of those guys being able to hold their own. So, um, I think that's an, in, the most intriguing lineup for WSU to close with. I don't know for how much we're going to see it though, but I think just the, the, the ability to all five of those guys shooting on the perimeter and, uh, just the, the defensive intensity, I think all three, all five of those guys can, can bring it on the defensive end. So that's, that's the lineup that I kind of want to see. Uh, down the stretch of these close games. Well, as I mentioned, it got a tough stretch coming up. The play's really going to heat up here, but I think the thing you get most excited about as a Shocker fan is these guys are getting more time together as well, and it seems like every game we see a flash from a Ricky or from a Craig or a Monzi or just enter your player in there uh, as far as these new guys and, and just to, the ability to see these guys grow not only as individuals but grow together as a team I think is pretty as exciting. Yeah, absolutely, and... Uh, after the bench, uh, you know, gave pretty much nothing the first few games. Obviously, that was, uh, you know, because of, uh, you know, COVID restrictions. But now that they have a full bench, the bench is playing really, really well. I think WSU is a little bit deeper than it even anticipated itself being, you know, at least this early on. Um, so I think that the, uh, you know, possibilities have, have kind of grown with, with this group just because they're, I think they are a little ahead of schedule you know, being 2-0 and in the conference. But like you said, I mean, really tough stretch coming up. Uh, that's going to determine, uh, you know, if we're still talking about, you know, the NCAA tournament as a possibility after this stretch or or if we're just talking about, you know, let's just get the most out of pretty much what is a free season for everyone and just kind of watching this team grow. So I think the next, you know, two, three weeks is going to tell a lot about this team. And uh, we'll find out uh, more on Saturday, hopefully. And I think, uh, the Astros have to come out on every single one of these games we're talking about because obviously we found out this week just how quickly the schedule can change and you know how much COVID can wreak havoc on, on the schedule. So uh, obviously we hope we can get as many of these games in, but you know who knows uh, at the end of the day, I'm sure this isn't going to be the last game affected by COVID-19 for the Shockers. Anything coming up at Kansas.com this week, Taylor? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try to do that deep dive on, on Tyson and kind of show people uh, just how much he's improved inside the arc. Um, so look for that, and then uh, we'll, we're going to talk to IB on Tuesday. 
uh, we'll have a you know preview of that midweek game, and then uh, yeah, we'll have plenty of stuff before that Ole Miss, and then the, the game coverage from Oxford. So a lot of stuff uh, coming on Kansas.com. Um, if you guys are interested, I have a, a special code that lets you get um, a subscription, a sports-only subscription to Kansas.com uh, for a dollar a month for the first three months. That's basically three dollars. That'll take you to the end of basketball season. Then you can cancel after that. If not, it's only five ninety nine per month. So really good deal. Just hit me up on Twitter if you guys are interested. Um, but yeah, that, that should be it for Kansas.com. And I know Dustin, I know you had a pretty eventful uh, Christmas break here, right? Uh, I did. That is correct. So I uh, got engaged on Saturday, what, the day what? after Christmas. So <laughs> there we go. You know, Sorry, ladies. Officially ladies off the market. Angry. Yeah, <laughs> ladies, he is I, off I, the market. We have a big female demo on this podcast, and so I know they're all going to be heartbroken. But uh, no, I've I've been sm- smiling since Saturday. That's for sure. <laughs> Congratulations, man. I'm happy for you. Yep, likewise. Right. I appreciate it, fellas. Well, have a good week. We'll have a big matchup at Houston next week. Uh, you know, certainly schedule and COVID preventing. So we'll we'll have some good coverage, uh, work on another good guest. Our thanks again to Bob Hull for joining the show. And Taylor, what should our listeners do? Got a rated five stars. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.